your Bibles, take them and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for being here. We're glad that you're here. I see some faces I have not seen in a while. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. And uh, we want you to feel right at home and just worship the Lord with us today. Last week, we started a a two-week series of messages um, entitled, So You Want to Be Friends? Did you ever see somebody that you thought, I'd like to be friends with them? And then you got to know them and you decided pretty quickly, I'm not so sure I really want to be friends with them. Or you found somebody that you never dreamed in a million years that you would be friends with them. And once you got to know them and started interacting with them, you really saw a side of them that you had never witnessed before and and you became good friends. Relationships are extremely important to our life. Unless you're a hermit that lives somewhere way out in the middle of nowhere and you never interact with anyone, let me tell you that at some point you're going to have to learn how to get along with other people. You're going to have to give and take. You're going to have to allow some others to have their way at times, and you're going to get your way at times. But relationships are give and take. They're built upon purpose, and they're built upon divine destiny. Now, last week we talked about, uh, we talked about Naomi and Ruth and, and Orpah and their relationship with one another. And today we're going to talk about David and Jonathan and the friendship that these two men had together. So 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. It says, And as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines. They must have been Pentecostal, amen? With tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Go to chapter 19, if you will. Verse 1, read along with me. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all of his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. 
Therefore, be on your guard in the morning, stay in a secret place, and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you, and if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and he said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it, and you rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. He's lying there, in case you want to to know. He will not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I stand here today not arrogant, but very confident that you have a word for your people today. Uh, why you would choose me to deliver it, I'm, I'm, a little, uh, you know, I'm a little bit wondering about that. But I, I've learned through the years to hear your voice and just tr- be obedient and speak what you've put in my heart. Because I know that, that you, that's the way that you deliver your message to your people. So Lord, I pray that you'll help me to do that today and help me to do it in a way that will bring honor to your word. And that will open the eyes of your people so that their hearts can be attuned to the word of God. Your word is powerful. Your word will change our lives if we will accept it. But Lord, it takes eyes of faith. It takes conscious, intentional decisions to change things that are not in accordance with your word and to line our lives up with you. If there's ever any difference in what we feel and what we read in your word, We can never live by feeling. We must always live by faith in your word. So, Lord, I'm very very happy that what you're going to say to your people today is going to have a lasting, long-term effect upon them. And that relationships that they are part of are going to change because of the word of God that is taking root in their hearts and in their lives today. So, Lord, I give you praise in advance. For I've asked this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Fist bump your neighbor, tell them you're glad they're here this morning. Today I want to continue talking about this theme of friendships. Now if you'll remember, last week we were talking about Naomi and Ruth and, and Orpah. And, and when, we, when we stopped our lesson, Orpah had gone home to Moab to rejoin her family But Ruth had decided that she was going to stay with Naomi. And Naomi said, look, I'm too old to be married again. And even if I were married right now and had a husband, I could not bear any more children. But even if by some miraculous uh, power I could bear children, uh, would you wait for 18, 20 years, whatever, for them to grow up so that they could be your husband? She said, you're not going to do that. So go home to Moab and get back with your people and your family and find some, some way to have a good life among your people. And Ruth said to her, said, don't ask me again to leave you. I'm not going anywhere. 
Wherever you live, I will live. Wherever you die, I will die. Whoever your God is, they shall be my God. So let's just stop having this conversation. I am with you. I am committed to you. I am loyal to you. And of course, we discovered last week that it was her willingness to be in covenant with Naomi and to be loyal to that relationship that ultimately led her to her destiny with Boaz. And she was responsible for mothering the lineage that would ultimately produce Jesse, the father of David, and David, the king of Israel. And then, of course, we know the Messiah came through the lineage of David. So because she was willing to be loyal and she was willing to be in covenant with Naomi, then she was able to see her destiny fulfilled in her life. So as we move into this new set of friends today, David and Jonathan, I want to start right there at that same thought process and and that process of loyalty and covenant. That's the first component that I want to share with you and develop a little further today. For a friendship to be effective and successful, there has to be a covenant and there must be a loyalty to one another. Now, we see three things that happened between Jonathan and David. And the first thing was, I would like to to describe it as being a supernatural happening. Because when we start here in, in chapter 18, it was right immediately following David taking out Goliath. He had gone in, you know the story, Uh, Goliath had been spouting his mouth off and somebody needed to step up and face him, but no one would until David got there. And he said, I'll go out and fight him. And they said, well, you're too little, you're too young, you're too ready, you're just a runt among these great warriors. And he said, oh, you know, let's, let's go. And he ran into the battle, Goliath made fun of him, you know, look at you, you little runt little thing coming out here to me. Today, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. And David looked at him and he said, hey, you came out here with your sword and your shield. I have come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And this day, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. That's exactly what he did. And Saul took note of that. And he started being drawn to David, but he was jealous of him. But with Jonathan, the scripture says, their souls were knit together. Now, this is something that happens internally. This is something that happens in the spirit. This is something that takes place in the soul, where you connect with someone in such a way that you are knit together. It means to bring it apart takes a lot of work. It means that you have to rip the stitches out. When you've been knit together with someone, it takes a lot of effort to to remove that relationship. So we know that scripture says on a couple of occasions that Jonathan's soul was knit together with David's. You know what that means? It means that they had the same purpose in mind. It means that they were of a spirit of unity. They were focused on the same goal. They weren't trying to accomplish separate things. They didn't have separate agendas. Their mind was fixed upon the will of God and what God was wanting to do through them. And they sensed that in their spirit. 
And so they were knit together by the Spirit of God. Now they sensed it, they knew it, but they knew that they needed to do something in the flesh to verify what God had revealed in the Spirit. Did you catch that? They had to do something in the flesh that released and revealed what God was doing in them in the Spirit. This is where most people miss their blessings. God takes them to the brink of blessing and brings them to a place of breakthrough and they hear the word of the Lord, but they don't activate it by receiving it into their lives and start living like it has already been accomplished. David and Jonathan were knit together in their soul by the Spirit of the Lord. And so Jonathan, who was the rightful heir to the kingdom because he was the son of Saul, knew that I need to send a message here. I need to send a message to David and I need to send a message to the kingdom that I recognize that I am not the one that God has called to succeed my father Saul. That man is the man who has the touch of God upon his life. And if I try to operate in his gift, and if I try to operate in his calling, I'm not going to succeed, and God, God's purpose will be thwarted. So Jonathan decides, I'm going to do something publicly here that will send a message of covenant and loyalty to this man that God has raised up. And the scripture says he took off his priestly robe. He took off his royal robe. And he handed him his sword. He, he handed him all of his weaponry. Now, for, for those of you who think, well, you know, that was nice. He was probably tired of it and needed new gear anyway. No, that's the way that they, they signified that, that there was a covenant relationship that was being formed. It's just like when my wife and I got married, we walked down the aisle and uh, I, she walked down the aisle and I stood here googly-eyed, the goggle-eyed, crazy saying, wow, how did I luck out and get this woman to agree to marry me? And she was thinking, oh God, what have I done? I'd but when she walked down and took my hand and we went through the vows and I promised this and I promised that and I vow this and vow this and, and I vow it for the rest of my life. I, you're stuck with me for the rest of your life. Can you hear her groaning from this side of the church? But we made a covenant. We made a public covenant before God and before the people of God and we declared let God what let what God has put together let no man put asunder we had a covenant together and that's what Jonathan is doing here he is recognizing that I'm not the man I'm not the one called of God. I'm not the one that carries the anointing. I'm not the man that has been selected. David is. And therefore, for me to kick against the pricks would be to be fighting God and his will for his people. And so he takes off the kingly robe and he gives it to David and he transfers all of his weaponry all the way down to his belt, which sent a strong signal to the people of Israel 
saying, I absolve myself from anything that I have a legal right to because what is legally right is not what is spiritually right in this instance. So I am going to give up what is legally mine so that I can walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God. And I'm transferring everything that you think should be mine. I'm transferring it from me to the man that God has made covenant with. And I support him wholeheartedly and with every ounce of energy that I have. There's a covenant. We need to hold to our covenants. And we've got children in America today who are growing up in single parent homes because covenants were broken. I'm not against anybody today, but listen, church, we need to enter a new era in America where we're no longer so concerned about what we want that we're willing to stand in and square our shoulders. And say, even though this may be a difficult, tough situation, I made a promise to someone. I made a covenant to someone. I stood before God and made a covenant. And therefore, God, if you will help me, I will stand true to the words that I have spoken. Covenant. And then there's another thing that I want you to see. Because Jonathan knew that he was in covenant now with David, he had to back up the covenant that he made. I'm not asking for anybody to raise your hands right now. In fact, I'd rather you didn't. But I want to ask you, since the day that you got married, and for those of you who are single, just bear with me for a minute. But for those of you who got married, do you ever remember a day in your marriage where you got up one day and thought, oh me. Why did I do this? Why did I commit the rest of my life to this person? It would be so much easier if I could just get up and pack my bags and go and and reboot. Everybody knows what reboot is, right? Hey, listen, if you're living and if you're breathing, you've had days like that. But it's on days like that that your covenant is tested. So one day, Jonathan finds himself in the presence of the king. And and the king is wanting to kill David. Now, Jonathan could have chosen two paths. He could have said, well, David's not here right now, so he's not really going to know what I say about him. So while I'm in the presence of dad, I think I'll just agree with dad. And so when dad started saying, I need to kill David, I'm going to get, he's out to get me. There's nothing left for David to take from me but the kingdom. I'm going to kill him. Jonathan could have said, well, that would be a right nice thing for you to do. You know, he is a little bit of a pain in the neck sometimes and a a little fool fool of himself. And, you know, I I think I'm going to have to agree with you, dad. You know, sometimes that David, he can just be a pain in the neck. David would never know. David would never know that Jonathan stood up for him. Jonathan, David would never know that Jonathan stood face to face with his dad and said, that's the craziest thing you could do, dad. You have forgotten that he is the man who stood before Goliath when no one else would and delivered Israel from the hand of the enemy. 
when it would not profit Jonathan in the eyes of David at, at all, and he took his stand and he stood before his dad and he said, killing David is not what needs to take place here. Now, what am I trying to say? I'm going to say to you today that there will be times that your covenant relationship will be tested. There will be times that somebody will catch you in the hallway and they'll start speaking poison into your spirit. And they'll start saying, well, did you know this? And did you know this about them? And, you know, I heard that this and I heard that that. And, you know, it just seems to me that just from looking at them lately, that it probably must be true. You know, I, they, they just, you know, they're, they're not the same person that they used to be. I guess I'm going to have to agree with you, you know. Hadn't noticed that before, but now that you bring it up and now that you mention it, you know, I think you must be right. So I, I guess, you know, even though I made a covenant to be their friend and even though I've tried to be loyal to them, it looks like maybe that you're right and I'm going to have to take a different opinion of them. You know what you should do instead? You should stand right up in their face and say, listen, the scripture speaks very strongly about spreading gossip in ways that will bring a negative uh, opinion about someone. So I want you to know right now that you're talking about my friend. I've loved them for years. I've known them for years. And it may be true that they're going through some difficult times right now. And it may be true that they're going through some hardships right now. But let me tell you something. I've never known anybody that I respect or admire any more than that individual. So before you start running them down in front of me, you need to know you're talking about my friend. You know, I didn't expect to get a whole lot of amens right there. But you know what typically happens when you take that stand? Now, they may go find somebody else to yak at, but they'll be done yakking at you because you've let them know, I'm in a covenant. I'm in a covenant with someone who is in the family of God that I'm a part of. And if you're going to come and say something to, about them, then you've got the wrong ears because I ain't listening. Did you hear about pastor? Did you hear? You know, I know he's been here long enough now that he thinks he's just too big for his bitches. Just thinks he run the show. Yeah, I don't like this and I don't like that. And we just let me tell you something. I was reading just this week about the people of God was standing right on the brink of victory, right on the brink of breakthrough. And the scripture says they would not enter in because they could not believe that God said would do what God said he would do. Now, we see that many times in scripture, many, many times in scripture. <clears throat> But in this instance, it says they would not enter in because they could not believe that God would do what he said he would do. And it goes on and it says, instead, they grumbled. They grumbled. God's getting ready to bless their socks off. 
God is getting ready to take them to a place where they've never been before. And they say, I just don't know. I don't know if God will really do that or not. I, you know, he's good and he's been good to us in the past, but I don't know. I feel like maybe he's been too good to us. And, yeah, you know, he's probably about done with us. And I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know if I can believe that or not. So, I, you know, maybe I'll just stand right here where I am. kind of like it when people come by and pat me on the back and say, bless your little pea picking heart and, I, and all that kind of stuff. And so we just stand where we are rather than saying even though I can't see it with my eyes I can't imagine it in my mind I know that his word declares that he wants to bless me in ways that I can't even imagine so I'm going to leave where I am and I'm going to move in and enter in to the blessings that God has for me and there ain't going to be no grumbling coming off my mouth Some of the worst days of my life has been when Donna and I haven't been getting along. And we grumble back and forth at each other and grumble back and forth and grumble back. And it's hard to realize that I love her and she loves me. And you know what we have to do? Sometimes we just have to reset it. And say, come over here and put a big, wet, willy kiss on my mouth. When she slobbers on me, let me tell you something. I don't care what she may or may not have done or what I think she may have done. I don't care. I just like her kisses. And I've learned through the years that God has blessed me so much. Why in the world would I want to turn to grumbling? And yet, I'm just like you. If I'm not careful and shut the grumble meter down, then I'm going to find myself in a place where God cannot bless me. So here's Jonathan standing in the presence of his father and his father says, I'm going to kill David if it's the last thing I do. And Jonathan could have said, well, you go right ahead, dad. I'm right here with you. Man, we're blood. You know, blood's thicker than water. Let's see, you know. And, but instead, he said to his dad, no, you're on the wrong path. David is our ally. David is our strength. David is the one anointed by God to lead Israel into the land of promise that he has. He was loyal. Do we know what it is to be loyal? There's a, there's a series of movies called The Fellowship of the Ring. And there's a, there's a guy in the movie, his name is Frodo, and then his best friend is Samwise Gamgee. I think I got it right. And Samwise Gamgee had made a covenant to Frodo that he would not leave him. Play the clip if you will. We need to... I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to you.
Sam. I'm going to Mordor alone. Of course you are. And I'm coming with you. You can't oh. swim. Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. Oh, Sam. Because he made a covenant to Frodo, <clears throat> even if it meant he had to wade out into water without the knowledge of knowing how to swim, he intended to keep his covenant. And church, that's what I'm trying to say to you today. We've got to keep our covenant. We have to be in covenant with one another. We have to be in covenant in our homes and in our families. We have to be in covenant in the church. We have to stick to the covenant. The next thing I want to share with you is <clears throat> the component of jealousy. Now, you're going to think, that's crazy, Pastor. Why, why would we want to be jealous? When we initially think of this word jealous, we think in negative terms. We think about, well, I'm jealous of you because you've got something that I don't have. <clears throat> or you have something that I want. Or you have something that you don't need that I do need. So I'm jealous. But that's not what I'm talking about. King Saul was jealous of David because of what the women sang when they came back from the battle. Because the women grabbed their Pentecostal tambourines and started singing a song like this. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And it made him angry. And it made the jealousy in his spirit begin to rise to the top because he was jealous of David. He was jealous that they held David in higher esteem than him. And so jealousy came out of him. But the kind of jealousy that I want to share with you that came out of Jonathan was a very different kind of jealousy because he was not jealous of David he was jealous for David. He wanted to see God's best played out in his life. 
He wanted to do whatever he could to help David achieve everything that he needed to achieve for the glory of God. And so his thinking and his life and his process was no longer about himself, no longer about what he could obtain, no matter what he could get, he was thinking about David. He was thinking about how can I bless him? How can I exalt him? How can I encourage him? How can I lift him up? How can I see him blessed? How can I watch him uh, uh, grow and expand in his anointing and all that God has for him? My job, Jonathan was saying, is to make sure that David can be all that God wants him to be. I'm jealous for him. I'm not jealous for me. I don't, I don't need that blessing. I wouldn't know what to do with it if I had it. I'm not called the way he is. And so if I had that anointing, I wouldn't be able to use it because I'd, I'm not the one called. I'm not the one put in that position, but he is. And so I'm jealous for him. I want to see him blessed. I want to see him grow. I want to see him advance in his own calling, even if it means that it costs me everything. Let me ask you today, are you jealous for those who are in your life? Do you want to see them blessed? Do you want to see them encouraged? Do you want to see them happy? Do you want to see them growing up and growing into the people that God has called them to be? If so, it may cost you at times. There will be times that you'll have to put yourself to the side in order for them to be blessed. But listen, if you'll do it, ultimately, you will be blessed as well. Because we only keep track of blessings in our humanity on this side of the kingdom. But there's coming a day when we're going to be in the presence of our Lord and our Savior. And he's going to reveal to us all the good things, all the bad things, all the rewards that we have coming to us because we put other people first and put the kingdom of God first. Jealousy. Thirdly, there's the component of presence. Did you know that sometimes the best thing that you can give someone is to just be there in their presence? Sometimes you just walking in the room makes all the difference in the world. Sometimes just being there. You know, we all find ourselves in places in life where it feels like that we're all alone. It seems like that there's nobody there. It feels like that that we're just struggling through life and no one cares and no one's concerned about us and no one wants to help us and sometimes all we need to do is just walk in the room. And sometimes all we need to do is just throw ourselves, our arms around somebody and hug them tight and bless them with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes that's all is required. It's just for you to show up. Have you ever been away from your kids for a period of time? Maybe you sent them away to youth camp and they were gone for three or four nights and they were there at camp and you're thinking about them every day. And by the way, youth camp season's coming up. We got some kids going. You ought to encourage your kids to go. It's a wonderful experience for them. Put them in a place where they can be blessed by the Spirit of the Lord. 
But when they're gone and they're away, and then all of a sudden you see the bus pulling up, and you know my child is on that bus, and they're getting ready to get off, and they come running to you, and they put their arms around you and hug you, sometimes words are not necessary because all you needed was that hug from the one that you love so very much, and they love you as well. Deborah, Deborah has been sick for the last few weeks and on a, a crazy work schedule. And she hadn't been able to be here in what, about three weeks, something like that, maybe four. And when she walked in the back door this morning, I didn't have to ask myself who it was. I didn't have to guess. Because of the light coming through the doors, she looked like a holy angel glowing all around. But I knew it was Deborah. I knew it was. And when she walked in, I just, I started clapping my hands. I just said, oh, Deborah's here today. I said, you, you know, when you get connected to people and when you love people and when you have a friendship with people and a family relationship with people, you feel that sense of joy when they walk into the room. So today, Deborah, you blessed me, girl. When I saw you come walking in, I was blessed. All you had to do was show up. All you had to do was be here today, and I got blessed because of your presence. And that's what I'm talking about. You know, we carry the, the ability within us to make a difference when we walk into the room. It ought not be one of these things where when we show up, people start saying, oh, dear Jesus. Here they are. Here they come. Oh, God, where's the exit? We don't have an exit. Reckon where you'd want one. I mean, there are people in the world like that, but you know as well as I do. There are people that, that when they walk in the room, your spirit is, it, it just jumps inside. And you're excited to see them. You're glad that they're here and you are blessed because they have come into your presence. We're told in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 23, David is he, he's now the, he's over all the wars and, and the warriors and he's out, he's doing all of these battles and, and he's having good success. And then there are days that he doesn't have very good success. And there are days that he was slaying Goliath. And then there were other days that he was fighting other giants and the other giant's name was Ishbibanob. Did you ever hear about Ishbibanob? And Ishbibanob got the best of David and took his sword and he's getting ready to kill him and getting ready to thrust him through. And a young man who was a nephew of David came and he took the sword away from Ishbibanob. At the last minute, just as he's getting ready to, to put it into David, he grabs it and turns it on Ishbibanob and destroys him and kills Ishbibanob on behalf of the king. David was having a bad day. He was not having a good day. And people were chasing him down and their natural enemies were chasing. But now Saul was telling even those who were not their natural enemies, you need to get David. And if you get him, you need to kill him. If you get him and I can't get there, you kill him on my behalf. But this guy has got to go. And then in the midst of all of that, they come home one night. And they come into Ziklag where they're at. And the enemy has come in. And they've burned the city. They've taken their wives. 
They've taken their children. They've taken their flocks. They've burned their houses. And the scripture says that David throws himself on the ground and he cries and he weeps until there is no more power within him to weep. Have you ever been there? You've been in a place where you thought, I have no energy left. I have nothing left to give. But thank God David didn't stay on the ground. The scripture says he pulled himself back up and he began to encourage himself in the Lord. He said, well, how did he do that? I don't know how he did it. But I believe he started speaking into his own spirit. I think he started saying, oh, blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. He's healed my diseases. He's encouraged me. He's strengthened me. He starts speaking the word of God into his life. And as he begins to speak the word of God, he begins to encourage his spirit. And that spirit that was in him that was once defeated was now rising within him and the glory and the power of God was rising up in him again. And in the midst of one of those bad days in in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16, just one verse, just one verse on a very bad day, the scripture says, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in the Lord. Now, have you ever thought, I wonder how Jonathan knew that David needed him. I wonder how Samwise knew that Frodo needed him at that moment. That he needed to get to him quickly so that he could be there in that moment. How did he know? I don't know. But something rose up because their spirits were knit together. Jonathan knew that the one that I have made a covenant with to be loyal to needs me. And he got up and he went to where David was. And we're not really told what takes place other than the fact that just him being there was an encouragement to David and he strengthened him in the Lord so just remember sometimes just you showing up you say well I can't go because I, I didn't get to fix my hair this morning doesn't look real good you know I didn't have an opportunity to, to, to brush my teeth I didn't have an opportunity to shave today I don't, you know I got these old nasty clothes and I'm not sure if I should go or not you know I don't know listen They're not looking at your clothes. They don't care what your breath stinks. If it stinks or not, they don't care. All they want to know is do you care? And when you walk in the room, you can be a blessing to them. I have one more component to share with you, and then I'm going to quit today. I gave you a chance. You didn't take it. The last component is the component of heavy lifting. The component of heavy lifting. Have you ever had a friend that literally they were like David and they had no energy left? They had nothing to give. There may have been a physical limitation that prevented them from being able to get where they needed to be. 
Do you remember the five friends in the New Testament who picked up their friend and, and carried him and took him up to the top? I mean, I, I wonder how many of us would find somebody laying out in the parking lot and say, I'll tell you what, let's do this the hard way. Let's just go up on the roof and we'll start digging. We'll cut a hole up there and we'll lower you down right in the altar area and we'll get you where you need to be. That's what they did. They took, it, they took him up on the roof and they started tearing back the panels on the roof so that they could lower him down into the presence of Jesus Christ. He could not do it on his own. He did not have the ability to do it on his own. If it had not been for the friends, uh, he would have never been able to get into the presence of God. But because of the friends uh, who got him there, he was healed by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Friends. Job's friends started out pretty good. And then they started trying to fix his problems. I remember when Donna and I first got married, I thought that when she shared difficult things that she was dealing with, I thought what she wanted me to do was fix it. I, you know, I thought, well, I'm the husband, I'm the man. Uh, I can fix this. Fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. And I would fix it in a way that I thought was appropriate, but didn't fix it for her because I wasn't seeing from her perspective. And when she would say, thanks for the effort, I would feel like, and then one day she said, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about women. She said, I think I can help you here. She said, now, I'm the only woman that you'll need to ever use this on, but I, you need to know this. When I share how I'm feeling with you, I don't want you to fix it. All I want you to do is listen. That's all. Just listen. Just sit down and shut up and let me say what I need to say. And then after I have said what I need to say, I'll be okay. And I won't have to have you fix anything. And I learned early in our lives together when I need to shut up and listen and just allow the Spirit of the Lord to speak, sometimes just say it, sometimes just Hearing it out loud is helpful and you don't have to have someone else come by and share with you or tell you what needs to be. There are times that we get so low that we have no hope and there is no help unless someone comes by and carries us to our place of victory. I've told you this story before, but I want to tell it again today for some who may not have heard it. Hadn't been too many years ago that I, I man, I'm, I'm happy as a bird. Life is good. I mean, we're blessed. One day my wife and I are out eating lunch and we're having lunch together and we're laughing and we're talking and we're having a good time and I'm just feeling blessed and we're feeling good and all of a sudden I, I felt something coming down my face and I thought, what in the world is that? I reached up and my hand just had blood everywhere, just all over it. And my, my nose was just bleeding. And I know it's just before lunch, but you'll get over it. It'll be all right. And I, and I excused myself from the table and I went to the men's room and I'm, I'm in there and I'm trying to stop the blood and I've got, 
you know, I've got paper stuck up my nose and, I'm, and I can't get it stopped and I'm bleeding all over the, the bathroom and all over the floor and all over the sink and, and all over my shirt. And, I'm, and people are coming to the door and they're knocking because they need to get in. It was a single seater if you need to know. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know what happened. And I came out, I couldn't get it to stop, and I, and I got her, and I, I said, we need to pay the bill. And I said, I guess just take me to the hospital. I don't, know what, I don't know what to do. I'm just bleeding like crazy. And before we got to the hospital, it stopped bleeding. But something happened in me that day that I cannot describe to you. I don't know what caused it. I don't know what, how it happened. I don't know why, but it seemed like to me that I broke that day. My, my body just broke. We were dealing with stuff in our family. We were dealing in stuff in the, in the ministry that we were a part of. It was one of the most difficult days and seasons of my life. And it caused me to just go crazy, didn't it, baby? I just crazy. Just lost my mind. Didn't know how to cope. Didn't want to get up in the morning. That's not me. I was just so depressed. We went to a church and we were supposed to be there there that day. And and I'm sitting at a table and I just pass, slap out on the floor. Had to be taken to the hospital. And the doctor said, oh, we've checked everything we can check. There's nothing wrong with him. Blood pressure's not bad. Heart's not bad. He's ugly. But other than that, he's healthy. Took me home. Went to my doctor. The doctor said, we'll go all the way through everything that we can check. They checked everything. Checked my heart. Did stress tests. Checked my head. They found a few things there that were missing. But when it was all over with, they looked at me and they said, they said, there's not anything physically wrong with you. Nothing. And yet I didn't feel like I could walk across the room. I didn't feel like I had any strength, any energy at all. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but there's not a more helpless feeling in the world than to be broken and to not know why and to not know how to fix it. And if it hadn't have been for Donna, praying for me every day, loving me, and I know there were days that she thought, oh, God, want to deal with him again. Oh, I know, because she's told me. (laughs) I was broke. But she just, every day, somehow, put her arms underneath me and set me up and stood me up and brushed me off, prayed for me, and somehow got me back to where I, I could take a few steps. And then the Lord began to do his work. I'm telling you, there's not a more miserable place in the world than to be at a place where you cannot help yourself. And you have no answers. And I've been there, and I know what I'm telling you today. And I know that there are people in this house today that you're hearing me and you're saying, that's where I am right now. Let me tell you that in your moment of not knowing and not having the ability, let me tell you there are people all around you who will walk into your life at the moment when you most need to be lifted up. And they will be there to encourage you. 
And they will be there to lift you up. And they will be there to carry you when you can't carry yourself. I have one final clip I want to show you. Lower the lights, if you will, guys, this time. And I want you to see the very end of the movie when Frodo is laying there helplessly. Has no strength whatsoever. He knows that that he has a job to do, but he can't get it done. Look what happens. Play Play the clip. Catch the line. Mr. Frodo, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. I can't carry it for you either, but I know one who can carry you. The scripture describes him as a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Savior who is in covenant with each and every one of us who will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. It doesn't matter how dark your day may seem. Let me tell you, Jesus is there and he will carry you. What a friend we have.